Welcome to this podcast from Christchurch London. For more information and resources, please go to ChristchurchLondon.org. It's so good um, to be here this morning on this gorgeous um, morning. Sorry, I'm just balancing everything. Amazing. I walked here from home along the river this morning. Felt like I was on holiday. It was, um, Tower Bridge was shut because of some bike race. The river was gorgeous and calm. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. So uh, here we are. Amazing. Great. Um, If you have joined us um, for the first time, we are beginning a series today on the book of Jonah. We have just finished a short series on the on a book of Ruth, which is a four-chapter book in the Old Testament named after an incredible woman called Ruth. And today we are starting a new series and another short four-chapter book in the Old Testament, this time about a man called Jonah. It's quite a different book. I was saying to Susie earlier, I feel like I got to the end of a really good book when I was reading Ruth. And you know when you get to the end of one really good book and then you start another book and you think, oh, where's everyone from the old book? (laughs) I want to be back in the other one. So it was a bit of a shift. But this is actually an incredible book also with so much to inspire us and so much for us to learn from. And if you have never heard of Jonah before, it is thought that Jonah was a prophet, um, which was someone who hears from God and then passes on what he has heard to those around him, to the people that God has called him or her to communicate to. And Jonah, it is thought, was a prophet in around the 8th century when a king called King Jeroboam II. And just to give some context to what we're about to read in chapter 1 this morning, if you don't know the Um, the Israelites, which were God's kind of chosen nation. You can read their story from Exodus. They had been brought out of slavery, and there was 12 tribes, and we, we see them being given different kings. You can read this in the Old Testament, and when we come to two kings, they've actually split into two, and in the northern kingdom, there's Israel, which is about 10 tribes, and in the southern kingdom, there's Judah, which is about two tribes, and um, Jonah is in the northern kingdom of Israel, prophesying and speaking God's word. And there was also another empire of the time, and this was the Assyrian Empire, which were seen as a threat to Israel and Judah. They were the upcoming empire, in a sense. This is obviously a very brief history. There is so much more detail and complexity to it than this. But the Assyrian Empire, they were seen as a proud, idolatrous, violent empire bent on domination of the earth. And Nineveh was a very key, important city in this empire. And it is now part of Mosul in Iraq as we know it today. So we're going to read chapter one together. That just gives us some context. Today we're looking at chapter one, so we will begin. I have no idea why I just did that. (laughs) I don't wear glasses. (laughs) It's like I'd seen... Uh, who knows why I just did that? I felt like something was on my head, and I'd seen people do that when they're going to read, but I do not wear glasses. <laughs> who knows, friends? Who knows? Here we go. All of a sudden, the well went dark, and I uh, wondered, right, Jonah chapter one. 
The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. I love that detail. (laughs) If you're going to flee from the Lord, make sure you've paid your fare beforehand. (laughs) After paying the fare, he went and then he went to flee from the Lord. But then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. They cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And he answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. This terrified them and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told him so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. And so they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. Instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew even wilder than before. And then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, for you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord, and they made vows to him. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. I have um, a simple message in some ways for us this morning, and it might not be or probably won't actually be anything new for some of us. But my hope is that we leave this morning encouraged, not by just hearing something new, but actually by being encouraged again by an ancient truth, a message that never changes, and that is God's promise of who he is and the life that he has invited us into. And so there are two thoughts that I have framed this morning under, and they are, don't run, stay awake. Don't run stay awake. Don't run. Our chapter begins with these words. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. And God directed Jonah with what he wanted to say to Nineveh. And it looks like it is very condemnatory here, but actually if you go on to read the rest of the chapter, it is actually a message to preach against the way that they were living and about God's compassion and his mercy and his forgiveness and his love. And it says here, God's voice came. God was directing Jonah to go to Nineveh to speak a message of compassion and love. 
God wasn't just directing Jonah to go to a different place or to go to a different city. God was inviting and asking and directing Jonah to go to what was probably his greatest enemy, to go to the enemy, the other empire, to cross territorial lines and speak hope and love and life and speak of turn around. God was inviting Jonah to say, hey, turn away from the way that you have been living and come to life in God's love. And Jonah's response we see two verses later, but Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. Jonah says to God, no way, no way am I going there. No way am I going there to say this. And he boarded a boat to Tarshish. Nineveh was in the east. Tarshish was in the west. It was basically as far away as he thought he could get from where God wanted him to be. God had invited Jonah to make a journey to Nineveh, which was a journey actually to take steps towards God's nature and his character, a journey towards hope and compassion and forgiveness and towards kindness and love, towards an expansive life full of purpose. And Jonah says, no, I'm going to head to Tarshish. I'm going to head over here, actually, God, not to your ways, but to my ways. I'm going to head over here to my own perceptions of how things should be, my own judgments, my own understanding of this world. I'm going to head over here to what I think those Ninevites deserve. It seems like Jonah, <clears throat> excuse me, had decided how those Ninevites needed to be treated, and his decisions were very different from what God was inviting him into. Jonah began a journey away from who he was and where he was supposed to be. Why? <laughs> probably, we're not told exactly why, but probably because he was afraid. If you can imagine being sent to Nineveh at this time, Jonah's probably thinking, what might they do to me? Do you have any idea who these people are, God? Do you see what they have done, what they have been like, what they are afraid, <coughs> excuse me, how they might treat me? Jonah was possibly afraid of that. But we're also given an indication of chapter four of maybe what Jonah's greatest fear was. And if we go on to read in chapter four, a few verses that we'll be looking at in a couple of weeks, but it just gives us some context here. Jonah says this, and I love his honesty. He says in verses one to three, it, without being a spoiler alert, <laughs> we're just going to have to do it. But basically, the Ninevites listen to the message and they turn their lives around. And Jonah said, oh, he was angry and he prayed to God and he said, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God. I knew that you're slow to anger and abounding in love. What a great prayer. We so often pray that in this amazing, incredible way in God and Jonah saying, I knew it. I knew that you're a God of love. I knew that you are a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life for it is better for me to die than and to live. It seems like Jonah's biggest fear was that God would be true to who he is. 
that God would actually show mercy and compassion and love towards those who Jonah doesn't think deserve it. It seems like Jonah's biggest fear was that he couldn't trust who God was. What if the Ninevites turn around and hear my message? God, would you actually forgive them? Would you actually show them mercy and compassion? What might that mean for me? What might that mean if they start to live alive in your love? What might that mean? Is there space for me? What might that mean for my nation? What might that mean for my people? Who knows the questions and the thoughts that were going around in Jonah's mind? But the biggest fear seemed to be of Jonah's that God wouldn't act the way Jonah wanted him to, but that God would act in a way that was true to himself. God wouldn't stay within the boundaries that Jonah wanted him to remain in, but that God would be a God of compassion to everyone. God would invite everyone into his spacious love. Sometimes the nature and the character of God may affront us in a similar way. Living God's love for people can be costly. Living God's love for people can actually reveal to us our greatest fears. It can reveal to us the state and the condition of our hearts. Sometimes maybe we might be prompted by God. We may sense an invitation to step over the lines that we've drawn, to step over our understanding, over our judgments, over our perceptions, and actually enter into the full nature and character of God. Sometimes maybe in an individual level. Maybe we're prompted to go up and speak with someone that we would rather not. Maybe we're prompted to forgive someone that we don't think deserves forgiveness. If only you knew, God, what they'd done to me. Maybe we might be prompted to love someone anyway. God never asks us to compromise our own value or worth in situations. But he does invite us into his spacious, expansive love. Maybe it is towards another people group. This was Jonah against the Ninevites and the Assyrians. Maybe when we think of those who we might class are in a different group to us, God is inviting us to step over lines that culture has drawn, to love and invite and live life together. Maybe God is inviting us to step over this, those lines because as we do so, we will encounter more of the spaciousness and the expansiveness and the diversity of all that he has created and all that he has purposed. We're invited in this city, just as Jonah was invited to go to the Ninevites. We are invited in this city to go to go and be love and be kindness and show mercy and compassion and tell a story of a God whose love is more spacious than we can ever imagine. It says in Ephesians 3, Paul prayed for the church in Ephesus. I pray that even though you can't understand how high and how wide and how deep the love of God is, you would experience it. It is a love that is more spacious than we can ever imagine. And any time we are not walking towards this, 
We are not walking towards the invitation that God gives us to expand our own hearts and expand his kingdom. We're not walking towards love. We're walking towards fear. Because fear is the opposite of love. And so this morning as we look at the story of Jonah, may we ask ourselves our own questions. God, where are you prompting me to go? (laughs) Who are you prompting me to pray for? Who are you prompting me to come alongside? May I make the decisions to step over the lines that I may have drawn and live fully alive in who you are. And it may not be in our own lives that we make an active decision to pay off where and board a boat to Tarshish. But it can be, you've probably heard this example before, but it can be tiny bit by tiny bit by tiny bit that suddenly we realize we're not headed towards love, but we're headed towards fear. If a ship sets sail somewhere and it's off by one degree, it won't matter at the beginning because it's just one degree. After 100 yards, it'll be about five feet off course. After a mile, it'll be about 92 feet off course. If it was a rocket and it was headed to the moon, if it kept turning off course by one degree after one degree after one degree, it would miss by 4,169 miles. (laughs) Pay attention. Let's pay attention to the small decisions that we make every day, the small decisions that God is inviting us into. Don't run. Don't run. Let's not be a church that runs. Let's not be a people that runs. And the thing is that God is a pursuing God. He doesn't force our hand or make us love him, but he is not passive. His love is active. He pursues us and our hearts. And God pursued Jonah God sent a storm, we're told. This isn't necessarily a storm of pain or destruction, but a storm in this instance of intervention, a storm of pursuit to get Jonah's attention. And what happens in the storm? We find the crew panicking. They're throwing their cargo overboard. They're praying to the gods that they know. They're trying to work out what on earth they can do to stop and still this storm. And what's Jonah doing? Jonah's under deck and he's fallen asleep. He is fast asleep. And this, I think, is a picture of where our hearts can go if we begin to run from the life that God has called us to. We can become asleep. Our hearts can grow numb to his nudges and his presence and his pursuit. We can be asleep. And the captain says, get up, get up, Jonah. We need you. They were doing everything that they knew to do, but what they needed was for Jonah to be awake. Not just awake and joining them in what they were doing, but awake to who he was and present in what God had called him and invited him to do. Fully awake to what was happening. When the the, um, crew had asked Jonah, like, tell us who you are, which country you're from, what's your occupation? The one thing that Jonah didn't answer was what's your occupation? He didn't say he was a prophet. It seemed that he had let that go. He had stepped out of his identity and what God had called him to. He needed to be awake. Awake to what was happening. Stay awake. (laughs) Stay awake. 
Now, we don't find in the Bible stories that make really tidy and uh, neat metaphors that then we can easily translate over to every circumstance in our life. And we're not here to judge Jonah, but to hold this episode up as a, as a mirror to our own lives. What can we find in this that can we, we can learn from, that we can ask of our own hearts? Are there situations where we have fallen asleep? where we know that we have fallen asleep. For whatever reason, we have become numb to the context and the circumstances and the people and the situations around us. And this isn't said from any place of judgment, but as an encouragement to us to stay awake, to honestly look at our own hearts. Are there places where I have fallen asleep. God needs us to stay awake, to stay awake to what is happening in this city, in this earth, to stay awake to what is going on, to the message that we've been given to carry. I know I shared this story, part of this story, um, a little while ago, but if you may know I'm from Liverpool, uh, if you haven't been already able to tell. But um, a number of years ago when I was living in Liverpool, we actually, as the church, were building on a legacy of people that had gone before us who had been praying for the city. And there was a number of churches that were gathering monthly to pray for the city. And as we prayed, I honestly felt awake, awake to what God was doing, his heart. It felt like I gained his heart for the city. And as we prayed for the place, we also saw where we could begin to be the answers to the prayers that we were praying. As we prayed for healing and hope and restoration and, <clears throat> excuse me, the goodness of God to be known in that city, we began to see how we could join with others in bringing that about. And one of the things that we felt God prompted us to, um, as I was on a beach in Greece, which is the great start to all good stories, um, but was to start a prayer room in the city center of Liverpool, a place where all the churches, could come and pray and so we got back and we gathered people and there was a particular place that I thought would be brilliant for this and it was right in the middle of clubland and so we'd gone to the people that own the buildings and they at first actually said no you can't because of where it is and um, this place won't be safe and all sorts of trouble could happen to it at night and I thought this would be ideal if we can have this room here the people that would be able to come into this space and encounter the presence and the love of God in new and fresh and creative ways can be amazing. If as the church together in this city, we can gather and play in this, pray in this space, it would be amazing. But they said no, so I thought, okay, we'll go away and we'll have a rethink. And that night, um, I had a dream. And in my dream, I was in my house and I was, well, I was actually outside in the street outside of my house and there was loads of people outside and I then in my dream saw loads of really big scary seagulls. I know seagulls can be very scary with pointed beaks and as I saw them coming towards us, I called everyone and I was like, come in, come in, come in, come in. And as I got everyone in my dream inside my house, I shut the door just as the seagull hit the door and in that moment I awoke. 
And I thought, what a weird dream. Didn't think any more of it until the next night I had exactly the same dream and woke at exactly the same point. And then I thought, maybe God is trying to speak to me, trying to make me aware of something, trying to wake me up to something through this dream. So I called a friend of mine and I explained the dream. And I said, would you just pray and see if you sense there's anything from God that I need to know through this dream? So he did. In the meantime, a lady called me who I didn't know, but my phone number had gone out on lots of leaflets. And she said, are you Joe Wells? I said, yes. She said, I just really feel I should pray Psalm 91 with you. So she read out Psalm 91 over the phone and prayed a promise of protection um, over me. I said, thank you very much. Great. Put the phone down. My friend called back who I'd called about the dream and he said, all that is coming to my mind is Psalm 91 and a promise of protection. And I said, amazing. Thank you so much. Put the phone down. But this is brilliant. Promise of protection. And I thought, hang fire. This isn't for me. This is for our prayer room in the city. This is where we are supposed to be. So I called the people back and I said, um, don't worry. We are supposed to be here. There is a promise of protection. And there we were. We went in. We got the space. Um, and we had actually an incredible week in that prayer room where prayers that were prayed and the ways that people encountered God in the heart of the city, actually the legacy continues today. And a few years later, actually four years ago, I actually felt very differently. And I realized that I was not awake to the place and the context and the time and the generation that I was living in, I realized that I was actually choosing to close my eyes to what was happening because I was overwhelmed by all that I was seeing, by the news that I was hearing, by all that was going on. And I didn't actually feel awake and alive in what God had called and invited me to, but I felt instead that I was walking this way. And as I was closing my eyes, I knew that I was taking steps further and further towards fear, not towards love. And I had a dream at this time, and it was in exactly the same place that I had had those dreams about the prayer room in Liverpool in my mind. It was in our street at home. But this time, everyone was outside my house in the dream, and I was inside my house. And I had the doors locked and the windows closed. And I, I know this sounds a bit traumatic, but it was in my dream. But I could hear people's cries for help in my dream outside my house. And I knew in my dream that I could wake up and I could open the doors of my house and I could invite them in. But in my dream, because I was afraid, because I didn't know what that might mean, because I was too scared of what might happen if I did, I kept the doors closed and the windows locked as people, they literally called out my name and asked for help. And as I woke up after having that dream that had happened in the same place where I had at once acted very differently, I just sensed that God was saying, wake up. You've got to wake up to what is happening. You've got to wake up to the time that you are living in. You've got to wake up. You have to see what is happening because I haven't called you to stay with your doors locked and your windows closed, pretending that you can't hear and you're asleep and you're numb to what is going on. I need you awake. I need you alive in this moment. And I think that that is God's invitation to all of us as we choose 
not to close our eyes and stay asleep, but to stay awake, to stay awake. I know so many of us are. This isn't a new message, as I said, but hopefully an encouragement. We are given the job of sparing one another on, sparing one another on that as the church, we have been given a message of hope and of freedom and of compassion and forgiveness and mercy to carry. Let's not run, but let's stay awake in our time and in this generation. When Jonah did wake up, he said to the people, throw me overboard. And we don't know whether this was an offer of self-sacrifice or whether it was simply resignation from Jonah. Listen, I may as well be dead. Throw me overboard. Who cares? Whatever it was, God wasn't going to let him get away that easily. Because God is always pursuing us. And it says in the final verses, it's a bit bizarre. I know that God would provide a huge fish, but that's what he did. It says in verse 17, Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And he was in the belly of the fish for three days and for three nights. And Johnny will look at the significance and experience of Jonah and the fish in a next week. But for today, we're actually just going to flip forward to Matthew 12. Because just as the Lord provided the fish for Jonah, so Jonah wouldn't die and go on to provide a sign for Nineveh. So the Lord has made provision for us. He has provided a way of saving us from death eternally. A way of saving us to life. And in Matthew 12, Jesus says to the Pharisees, for as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Jesus is saying here, just as three is one of the numbers of divine perfection in the Bible, Jesus is saying, just as Jonah came out of the whale on the third day and was a sign of God's love and kindness and compassion to the Ninevites, so I am a sign, Jesus says, to this generation and the generations to come. I will go to the belly of the earth, basically death and hell, but on the third day I will be resurrected, having defeated death forever. This is complete and perfect provision. We have sang it this morning. We have heard of it this morning. My life, Jesus says, will be a sign for anyone who is looking that God is a God of love and compassion and forgiveness and life. And I wonder if the band could come back up. This morning, we may be feeling like Jonah for a number of reasons. Maybe we feel like we have been running from God And we have found ourselves in a storm, whether of circumstances or emotions or whatever it might be. And it may be that we want to stop this morning and we want to actually see the provision that God has given. The provision of Jesus. The provision of Jesus who has invited us in to life and love. He has extended a hand of saving grace. And whether for the first time or again, you just want to extend your hand and take hold of it and hold on to life and love. We've got people that would love to pray with you at the end if that is a moment for you this morning. For others of us, maybe we have been every day we've been putting our hand in the hand of the one who has saved us. 
And so let us never stop celebrating the provision of Jesus. Let us never stop growing in the wonder and the gratefulness of all that he has done for us, of how he went to the very pits of death and hell so that we don't have to. And let us not run from what he has called us to. Let us not run from what he has invited us to live. He has given us the church, his family, a message to live in this city at this time, to build on the legacy of those who have gone before us. Let's stay awake to what is happening around us so that we can pray, that we can stay in partnership and friendship with Jesus and live all that he has invited us into. Not because we need to give our lives to save those around us because we're a sign pointing to the one who already has, pointing to the one who has come. And if you're thinking, well, what does that actually look like? I can't do that, Joe. We're going to sing a song in a second. And it's simple. Jesus has made it actually very simple for us. Jesus says, do you know what this can be summed up as? When you get up tomorrow morning, love me wholeheartedly and love people wholeheartedly. When you get up on Tuesday, love me wholeheartedly and love people wholeheartedly. When you get up on Wednesday, love me wholeheartedly and love people wholeheartedly. Allow me to grow your heart. Allow me to invite you further and further, not into fear, but into love. And we're going to sing a song that speaks of the provision that Jesus is for us and actually is a declaration that we're no longer slaves to fear, but we're children of love. And it may be that you want to sing this as a declaration. It may be that it's the first time, but actually there is power in what we sing. There is power in what we sing. Shall, shall we stand and we can sing together of who Jesus is and what he has invited us into. Thank you for listening. For more information or for further podcasts and downloads, please visit ChristChurchLondon.org.